Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. For years, I just dreaded going to the dentist. But at Advanced Dentistry, I don't have to. First and foremost, they want you to feel comfortable when you walk in. Like, you'll feel it. Whereas in the past, I might have gone into the dentist and thinking, I might feel some pain at some point. But with IV sedation, it can be something that you don't dread. If you've been avoiding the dentist because of fear, worry, or just not wanting to be judged, you're not alone. Visit NoFearDentist.com to learn how IV sedation can change your life. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Three Questions. I'm Andy Richter, and uh, as you know, my whole life is late-night television. I don't care about anything but late-night television. So that's why I insisted that I get my next guest on this show. That's right. It's Jim Lee Kimball. No, you've pronounced that incorrectly, Andy. It's it's not Jim Lee Kimball. It's Jimmy Kimmel. Oh, Jimmy Kimmel. I'm sorry. I just was... (laughs) Wendy, the slow adult, is my publicist. <laughs> that's Jim. Yeah, that's my Jimble Kimble. <laughs> Jimble Kimble. That's what she says. <laughs> well, uh, reference well, to the Howard Stern show. Yes, of which, yeah, which, yeah, we are both uh, devotees. You much more than me. You're like now a member of the family on the Stern show. I feel like you could be a member of the family if you invested more time in the family. That's true. That's true. And if I traveled more, you you are all out there and then, you know, or you're out here too. And I, you know. I'm more hunkered down in my little in my little Burbank bunker. So yeah, well, I go to New York usually once or twice a year. I haven't obviously in a while, but I always make a point to go on the show. I I really love it. It's one of the few things I really enjoy doing. It is. It's and I mean I you know I listening to it. It just like I get annoyed when they replay things during the day. When I get back in the car and I turn it on, it's like oh shit, I already heard this. God damn it! If um, you learn how to use the app, which I've not. It's easy yeah. to fix that, but it's much easier to just, you know, there's some things that are just like, you just want to turn the radio on yeah. in the car and have it come to you. Right, exactly. I'm like an app schmap. I don't have time for that. And also, too, I never think to turn anything on until I'm actually on the road. So I, then if I'm fussing with the app, it, which, you know. I was listening to you and Zach Galifianakis on, on your podcast, and I... You know, once I get something going, I don't want to change anything for fear that it might not work. So I was listening to it just on my phone, not with headphones, uh, just listening to it as using the phone as a speaker. And then I realized I had to like, you know, go into my office and stuff. So I just held it with me. And sometimes I'll just put it right in my front pocket. And I had the speaker pointing out at my head. And I'm just, that's like my version of a, of a boom box, I guess. Right, right. right. Or like a transistor radio that like a, you know, like a slow person would listen to the ball game on, you know. I miss listening to the ball game on a radio. Being at like a a Dodgers game or something and somebody remembered to bring their radio, which I never did. And I was always jealous because you always... You know, you kind of half know what's going on when, even if you know a lot about baseball, if you're not paying really close attention to what's happening on the field, it's easy to get confused, especially when there's like a close play and you're like, so what happened? Wait, what? You don't know what's going on? Yeah. But I will tell you, when I was a disc jockey, I worked at a radio station in Palm Springs, KCMJ FM, and there was KCMJ AM, it was right, when I say across the hall, I mean like, like your bathroom would be close to your kitchen and no it was automated they'd run the Dodgers games and so when I was there on the weekends doing my weekend shift I would go in there and to entertain myself I would um, put sound effects into the Dodgers game (laughs) so while the Dodgers broadcast was coming out of LA I would like Vince Scully would say 
And when it hears the pitch, and then you'd hear boing. <laughs> and then people would call the radio station and they and I'd answer the phone and they'd say, I'm hearing strange sounds on the radio during the game. And I say, I know we're I'm hearing the same thing. It's coming out of LA. We don't know what's going on. That's awesome. When I uh that just reminds me of um when I lived in Chicago, uh, and this is also a, a tangentially a radio story, there was a DJ there that was a you know a, a a personality jock. I mean, they call them shock jocks. Just seems like it's like no, they're not that shocking. Who was it? Uh, jo- Jonathan Brandmeier. Oh, he's one of my idols. Oh, really? He was he was huge, huge, and he had a deal to do a TV show to do like sort of like a comedy sketch talk show, like a a late night talk show. And it was like Fred Silverman. And it was sort of like, it had something to do with like the, the fallout from the Arsenio Joan Rivers thing, or maybe before Arsenio. I don't remember exactly, but it was a syndicated show. Fred Silverman produced it and they tried to make him into a TV host. And it didn't, it didn't work. I have it on VHS, by the way, I have that in my oh, wow. office right now on VHS. Oh my God. Cause we, it was, there was a bunch, there was a, a group of us that were in an improv group and they had two slots, like two slots for researchers because you couldn't be a writer because then they'd have to pay you guild dues or, or you'd have to pay you guild rates. So you had to be, we were researchers and the group of us, like I was all for like, look, let's just go for it. Let's just each of us try and get that spot because there was like six of us. Like, let's just each go for the the two spots. And there were other guys in the group who were like, no, why don't we rotate in and out? And I was like, because I would like to get a real salary rather than <laughs> one third of a salary or one sixth of a salary or whatever. And it, I was quickly shot down to the point where it kind because of, I kept pushing the point and it was kind of like, all right, they kind of like, were like, hey, shut up. We're going to do this all as a group. Okay. Okay. So we like each of us work two days a week. But we worked at the PBS station, WTTW, in, in Chicago in their studios. And there was a, a, a current event show that was on five nights a week. I can't – John Calloway, I think, was his name. But in his set was a bookshelf, like behind him and then behind the guest, it was a bookshelf. And I took some pieces of ham and put them between the books that so that they were hanging out. And for like a week – you could see in when you turned on his show, pieces of ham hanging out of the books behind him. And it, like I say, it took a week. Like it just shows how much like the quality control and what a sharp eye everybody had on that show. Well, I do want to say in Johnny B's defense, he was not a shock jock. He was uh, just kind of a fun guy. He wasn't a shock jock. He was hugely popular in Phoenix before he went to Chicago. The impact that he left on every dish jockey, I went to college in Phoenix, on every dish jockey that I worked with was enormous. He was so popular. He had like a 30 share or something in Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. He had a band and they would play and uh, he'd do like funny songs. Yeah. But he was really great and um, a really funny guy. And yeah, the TV show didn't didn't work. He had almost too much energy for television. And radio guys have a hard time on television. And I think there's a, a weird reason why, a very practical reason why, which is they're used to being like an inch and a half from a microphone. And when yeah. you're not close to that microphone, you feel you have to shout. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and just amp up the energy. And it's hard to get over not being able to control the volume of your voice and you're not wearing headphones and it just kind of changes everything. And I think that's like, if somebody sat down with all these radio guys beforehand and said, Hey, listen, you're going to be shouting. Uh, you're, it's going to be much too much, especially for late night television. You just need to focus and calm down. It would do, a, it would, I don't know. I probably wouldn't have a job, I guess. <laughs> All right. Well, this this podcast is kind of, you know, as uh, as one of my guest ones called it origin story, because everything's got to be freaking comic books now. Um, so this is kind of like, you know, this is your life. You're, you're going to you know share with us where you come from. And you're you're originally East Coast, right? Brooklyn. I'm from Mill Basin, which is down in the bottom of Brooklyn. It's not the cool area. It's not the place where all the hipsters live now. It's pretty much the same as when I lived there. Really? It's a, um, an Italian and Jewish neighborhood in the bottom of, it's the 
It's for people from Brooklyn who never go to the city, yeah. who stay in Brooklyn all the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's there are in Chicago. There was the same thing. My barber told me he hadn't been downtown for 25 years. And that was <laughs> that was when he got his barber's license. Like, so there's just people that live in the city are like, I'm not going down there. So, and is it, do you still have people there or do you still have relatives sure. that live there? Oh, you do. Okay. Yeah, sure. We moved to Las Vegas when I was nine years old. My uncle Frank was a cop in New York. He retired. He was 40 years old. I think he decided he heard that you could get a job as a security guard at a casino in Las Vegas pretty easily if you'd been a, a police officer. Yeah. And so they went out there. They, they actually, this is a true story. It sounds like an, it's not true, but it's absolutely true. They were going to move to Florida. They went down to Florida and they put a down payment of a hundred dollars on a house, which was a lot of money. And they were staying with friends and uh, in the morning, my Aunt Chippy saw an alligator in the pool in the backyard at this friend's house. <laughs> and she said, I didn't yeah. give birth to three daughters to have a meet and buy an alligator. <laughs> and so Florida was out. They forfeited the $100 and decided to move to Las Vegas. Wow. And that they did. And we followed them about a year and a half later. And all three of their children were bitten by rattlesnakes. <laughs> Um, and so it was just, it was just cause they led the way. I mean, did your dad have a job lined up or your, my or dad you? did not have a job lined up. And oh, in wow. fact, a local lounge singer helped him get a job. Uh, he was working at IBM in New York and he got a job working for this company called Summa Corporation, which is a company Howard Hughes owned and founded. They owned seven casino hotels in Las Vegas and, um, and they had their office wasn't even an office building. It was like this ranch on right near what or that welcome to Las Vegas sign. It was right near that. Yeah. And they worked on this ranch and um, it was like in a house, basically. And they were operating uh, the computer systems that determined the odds on the slot machines in the casinos. Oh, wow. Wow. So your dad, could he play that? Could he like finagle the slots to, you know? You know what? It's 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 interesting, like and, and people don't know this uh, if you don't live in Las Vegas, but there are certain percentages uh, payouts, certain payout percentages. So if you if you're on the strip, that's you probably have the lowest chance of winning money on a slot machine. If you're in a big casino on the strip, then you get into downtown and the odds are higher when they have to. And then you get to like a supermarket and th that's where the odds are best. Oh, really? Yeah. Like at the, what about the airport? Uh, the airport is the worst. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's just like, it's like the cost of, it's like the same reason a pack of gum is $3 at the airport. It's the same right. principle uh, that I learned from him. And uh, that's what he did in Las Vegas. And um, until we moved to Arizona in the, in the later eighties. And how old, how old were you when you moved to Vegas? I was nine. And how old when you moved to Arizona? 18. Oh, okay. So that was pretty much your you know, your formative years into young manhood were in Las Vegas. Yes, for sure. And, and is that a weird? I can't even conceive of growing up in Las Vegas because it just doesn't seem to have its own identity that is in any way genuine. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I know what you mean. And I, I could see why people think that. And I didn't, it, it was never obvious to me until I moved from Las Vegas and people couldn't believe I was from Las Vegas. But it's a place where we went to church and played little league and, uh, you know, had the same upbringing that anybody has. The only difference yeah. being that most of our parents worked on the strip. You know, I'm like uh, my best friend, Cleto, who's now my band leader, his dad, who's also in my band, was a room service waiter at, at Caesars Palace for many years. And would like he'd be requested by Sammy Davis Jr. and Bill Cosby and these guys when they would come into town. So it was like a regular job that was interesting. And this weird dose of celebrity injected into everything because yeah, yeah. I lived two and a half miles from the strip. I, I It's where I grew up. And yet. It wasn't like we, you know, we didn't hang out there. We didn't have showgirls living next door or anything like that. But when we wanted it, we could get right to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it does seem like it It would be, well, you know, it's like sort of like any Western city, but with like a little bit of glamour and a little bit of crime, too. Like, you a little know. bit of crime, 
a little bit of desperation, maybe more yeah. desperation than any place. And, um, and you, you know, you could see it. I mean, you know, more pawn shops than you'll see in the typical town. Yeah. Uh, more motels, more hookers, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All the times that I went to Las Vegas, there's this, and I don't know whether it's just uh, my emotional makeup, but it's like, there's a palpable sort of sense of desperation. You know what I mean? Like just like people losing money. And, and, and do you feel that while you're there? Do you feel that like, oh, like I'm going to school and everything, but just, a, you know, a few blocks away, there are people losing their children's college fund. No, you know, when you're a kid, I, you know, yeah, you yeah. Know, that's not something I was really aware of until I became right. an adult. But yeah, I think yeah. that like this, you know, like suicide rate is right up there with the Pacific Northwest. And up there, I think it's largely has weather has a lot to do with it, the gloominess of, of living up there. And in, in Vegas, people just kind of. There are a lot of people who come for their last shot and they're like, you know, I'm at I'm at the end here and maybe a miracle will happen. And if it doesn't, goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. Now, is it true that you and all your friends had to wear pinky rings? We didn't have to. Uh, I will say my Uncle Vinny does wear a pinky ring. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he's got I, hands like an ape. <laughs> I I. <laughs> I, I one time bought a ring that I intended, like, it's like an, a cool antique kind of like old buckle ring that I was going to wear as a pinky ring. And I put it on and I was just like, no fucking way. No way. I cannot do this. You know, you made that decision. on your Yeah. Own. I just like, just put it on. It's like, it's like when I bought a leather jacket, like a cool, not like a Fonzie biker jacket, but more like a, you know, like a, a motocross leather jacket. Yeah. You know, at Berman's, the leather experts when I was <laughs> 15 or something. And I, you know, I bought it and I got it home and there was something about the store mirror wasn't as truthful as the home mirror. And I put it on when I was home and I was just like, I just, I look ridiculous. I have that experience with every hat I ever buy. Yeah. You, know, you go on vacation and you buy a fedora. You know. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. This could be my thing, you know? Yeah. My grandfather wore a hat. Maybe yeah. I'll, maybe this would be my thing. <laughs> you realize, you know what? I think, you know why we do that on vacation? Because our friends aren't with us. And then when you have to face the prospect of walking into the office and all your friends being there and seeing you in this hat now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know you're going to get mocked. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm going to be a hat guy now. Surrounded by strangers is the reason they sell so many hats on vacation. Yeah, hat guys, I'm sure that hat guys at some point will rise up and like demand representation or not. Because I just, there's so many, there's so many hat guys that I just, like hat guys, I judge hat guys. Almost all hat guys, unless they're like a wizened old Westerner, you know, I just, like just a guy at a yard party in shorts and a shirt. And then like with like a little like pork pie hat. I just am like, what are you doing? I feel that way too. Only when it comes to white people. Yeah. Oh, uh, white people are not allowed to wear funny hats. <laughs> but Steve Harvey, like you see Steve Harvey, you're like, yeah, he looks good. And Cedric, the entertainer, you're like, yep, yeah, that I guess works. that. Yeah, that is true. 100%. That is true. Sam Jackson wears a Kangol hat all the time. Yeah. Yeah, George you're right. Lopez has like one of those hats on all the time and you never think yeah. he looks dumb. Yeah, because I'm thinking like like Jimmy Vivino, our our old band leader, he wears yeah. hats like crazy. And it's like, well, yeah, but it works on on him, you know. Yeah, like, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably glad. Maybe to you tell just him. got used to it. <laughs> uh well what and what predicated the move to Arizona? My dad lost his job and and was out of work for a year and then got a job in Arizona. I'd gone to college at UNLV for a year in Vegas. And then um, there was some deal where if you if you were hired, you'd get in-state tuition for your children. And so my father said, we're moving to Arizona. And I was like, well, I'll miss you guys. Uh, it was really nice knowing you. I'm in college, you know, it, yeah, it's yeah. normal for people to be away from their families in college. And they said, no, no, you're coming. I said, well, no, no I'm not coming. I'm going to stay here and go to college. And then I found out how much rent was. And I think I was making like $4 and 15 cents an hour at the Miller's outpost at the time. Yeah. And I realized that there was no way I could support myself. So I moved with them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's gotta be a good feeling. Were you living at Oh, and you were living at home through that first year of college, right? Yeah. I mean, I didn't, my family, we didn't think about college until after I'd graduated high school. 
there was never a discussion of college. Really? Yeah. It was like the 13th grade. It was like, like August came and we were like, well, I guess you should go to UNLV next year. And I did. Yeah. It's right there. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I think back and I can't believe it, especially now I see like my father, how involved he is with my niece and nephew and figuring out their college and, you know, the SAT tests and getting them a tutor and all this stuff. It's like, where were you when I was a teenager? Uh, yeah, I know. At, at, I remember when my, my son's in college now and when he was going through the process and people, other parents talking about it and like, my kids applying to seven colleges, my kids applying to eight. And like, my son asked me like, how many did you apply to? And I said, one, <laughs> the one that I went to. Like, like, I'm not sure I even applied. I just signed up. Yeah. Just show up and do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a different ballgame. It's the same thing with, but like my parents, they go to like the, the parent teacher conference. That was it. Yeah. You know, sport, you know, if you, you're in a sport, they go to us, the, they watch the game, but beyond that, like you're on your own and that's, you know, that was always a, a difference of opinion between my ex-wife and I was always like we'd go, you know, we would go to the parent nights or the orientation nights and they'd tell us about the math they're teaching. And and she would realize that I just was zoning out or trying to look at my phone, you know, and uh, <laughs> and I was and I would tell her, I was like, yeah, but it's there. It's between them. It's between the kid and the I teacher. I feel the what same a, way. What a, what a, what's it got to do with me? I can't tell you how many times I've said I've graduated kindergarten already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, it's like, that's your business. I don't, I don't need to know. And also, I can't absorb it anyway, even if I try to focus. I mean, I was shitty at math then. I'm shitty at math now. Um, but I'm also a very self-involved guy. I show this asshole. <laughs> well, um, you know, that's the way it was when, uh, you know, our parents, yeah, they'd come like if we have like a, like the band, if I was playing my clarinet in a band recital, they'd all they'd be there for sure. Yeah. You know, if, if, there, if there was a game or something, they'd come to it, but... Unless I was in trouble, they had they didn't nothing happened as far as yeah. school goes, you know. Yeah, I, I, yeah, and I it's not you know, I don't know, I don't know. I I mean, I I my kids are my kids are pretty good at school. My daughter especially. My daughter's like, you know, had a lot of uh, uh, attention issues early on. You know, was basically a wild animal until age nine, and uh, but now she's like straight A's and super organized and like. And, and I, that has nothing to do with me. I mean, and in so many ways, and I'm, I'm sure you've noticed this, your children are who they are, like fresh out of the, yep. fresh out of the womb. They're just like, you can kind of sense like, oh, this is, this is what this kid is like. And then they just sort of spend a, you spend a lifetime being, it being reaffirmed to you. You create, over you over conjure over. up this personality for them. Like our son, Billy, you know, he had, uh, as you know, operations right when he was born and he was, you know, this sympathetic character in our lives like oh you know poor billy and oh this yeah, yeah. baby is he gonna live what's going to happen um really like became very much the center of of our lives in in in, in a much greater way than a baby usually becomes the center of your life and now he's just a maniac. He's a pain in the ass. He's a crazy <laughs> little monster who runs around scaring us and roaring at people mm -hmm. and um, biting and stuff. And what is he? Five? Is he four, like five he just now? Four. Just turned four. <laughs> four. Like, hey, well, huh? do you know how yeah, worried yeah. we were about you? Yeah. You, yeah why are you biting me? <laughs> yeah. I was on TV yelling at the president about I you. Was myself on television because of you. <laughs> You know how much money I've been giving to that place? Because of you? <laughs> Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.
I'm Phoebe Judge, host of the podcast This Is Love, stories about love and all of the surprising forms it can take. Like a man who finds a baby on a subway platform, a woman who spends most of her time alone until a fox starts coming around. And in one of my favorite episodes, we meet a man who forgot his wife and had to get to know her and fall in love all over again. Listen to new episodes of This Is Love wherever you get your podcasts. Can't you tell my love's a growing? My sister has a five-year-old, and my my assistant has a, has a has a toddler now. And I, I I just when I see him, I'm just reminded of what of this period that I called high stakes boredom, which is just like watching a kid like do the same thing fifty times. But you can't take your eye off them because they might fall and split their skull open on like, (laughs) you know, a twig or something, you know, or poke their own eye out with just for fun, I guess. Yeah. And you signed up for it again. I did. You you were out from under it from had two. I was in the clear. Yeah. I was on a magic carpet ride to Europe. (laughs) Yeah. And you're like, I can't wait to change my parents diapers. I want to change a diaper now. My oldest daughter turns 30 this summer. You know, it's I mean, I could be a grandfather soon. Yeah, yeah. That's a spread. Wow. Uh, does it keep you young, though? I kind of feel like the longer the babies are around, it kind of it keeps you from slipping into being old and crotchety. It keeps you young and makes you old, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can get that. It's, it's a lot of responsibility. Uh, you know, when sometimes I feel like my wife doesn't understand that I did this once already. Like, yeah. <laughs> should be like, like sometimes it's like, if, if I'm not holding up my end of the bargain, I'll sometimes go like, Oh my God, do you know how many times I woke up the night <laughs> before I even met you? Well, now is that, Oh, it's just like, it's the burden of it. It's like, I don't want to do that. Or is it just kind of that, like this, does she sweat things more than you do just because you've been yes. through it? Yeah. Yeah. I think so for sure. Okay. I think that's natural. I think there's a, when you have adult children, I'm sure as you realize your kids are, uh, you know, right there. Yeah. You realize like, oh, okay. Uh, all that stuff I was worried about. I'm maybe, maybe it was worrying a little bit too much about that kind right. of stuff. And right. Right. So you have that wisdom to comfort you and then. You know, like, for instance, my son is four years old, and he's got this uh, best friend named Trey. He loves his kid, you know? And Trey's moving. And um, my wife's very upset about it. She's like, he's going to miss Trey so much. And I just go, you know what? He's not even going to think about Trey. (laughs) Trey. (laughs) I'm going to tell you right now that uh, this is, he doesn't understand what moving means. Mm -hmm. He um, is like a dog where you leave the house in the morning and he's panting. And then you come back at at night and he's jumping on you. I mean, it's like their kids are more like dogs than I think we like to admit. Not just dogs, but just like little animals. Like they are, they live in the moment. There's like, they, they're, you know, I mean, depending on the kid, they're like, you know, scared of being eaten. You know, what's great evidence uh, that kids live in the moment. They will tell you the same joke 40 times in a row. Yeah. 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 They don't understand that there are diminishing returns on the joke. It doesn't matter to them because each time they're telling you the joke for the first time, each time you like throw them in the air They then want to be thrown in the air again and thrown in the air again. And the fact that you're now tired of throwing them in the air doesn't mean anything to them. They want you to keep going because they are, yes, they are, they exist in that moment and only that moment. And there's no thinking about the future at all. And I guess it's a slow, I guess it's why teenagers think they're indestructible. I guess it's why it's like some people won't even get the vaccine. They have like a kind of a, um, uh, an immaturity or something. Where yeah, they, yeah. Like there, an immortality that's based on ignorance. Yeah, ignorance yeah, of reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Although I do love picturing you screaming at a four-year-old, there's a thing called diminishing returns. <laughs> let me write this on, on let me yeah, put, yeah. write this on the refrigerator with those little letter <laughs> magnets we have. <laughs> now, you, nobody in your show, in your family's in show business. So what, what happened? You were well. Some of them are now, but well, yeah, because you gave them jobs. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ! <laughs> I was the first one. It was 
an accident, I think, probably. I, I, was a, I was planning to be an artist. That was always my plan for my life. I started watching David Letterman. I loved him. I started listening to Howard Stern, tapes of Howard Stern. My uncle would send me, and I loved him. And I got it in my head that it might be fun to be on the radio. And it just so happened this guy I worked with at this clothing store uh, was on the local college radio station, and he said, you'd be funny on the radio. I can get you a, a on. And I said, all right, I'd love to do that. And I started doing that, and then I just loved it so much. I loved being in radio stations so much. I decided to make that my career. And then it just so happened that I was doing morning radio in L.A. at K-Rock with these guys, Kevin and Bean, and um, television producers would call and ask me to audition for things. So that's how I got into television. There was never a plan to get into television. Oh, wow. And was this all in Arizona when you started doing radio? I started in Las Vegas in high school. In Las Vegas. Oh, okay. So do you think that if if they hadn't called you that you'd be still doing radio? Yeah. I mean, yeah, probably. I mean, hopefully it's, it's a hard business. It's especially hard now. Oh, it's awful now. It's It's really terrible. Well, now it's evolved into podcasting and I think it's in some ways it's better if you can get an audience. It's great because you don't really have a boss, which is a miracle and you could practice, which you couldn't do when I was a kid trying to get into radio. You just hang around the radio station until somebody let you on. And then you'd be on maybe once a week on the weekends and you're talking in between records. So you're really not getting a lot of practice. But now the idea that people could, anyone with a computer can do a show, that's a huge, just being, just doing it is, is like 80% of it. Yeah. Now, do you feel good about that? Or is there a part of that that annoys you? There is a part of it that annoys me. And I know like when we listen to Howard, you hear it's annoying, but I, I do feel more good about it than annoyed. I wish I didn't have to jump through those hoops and I wish I didn't have to like volunteer for three years before I finally got paid nothing to be on the radio. Now it all worked out obviously, but I do think that my skills would have uh, improved more quickly if I'd been able to, I guess I could have just talked into a tape recorder, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's just, you right. have to have like some kind of a reward and even you just want a few people listening. Well, now when you, you know, as this evolved from going, you know, from doing the radio, auditioning for things. And there was the first TV thing was it, oh, it was when Ben Stein's money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and then it, when you get to the point where it's like, how about doing a talk show that's just you? Do you have qualms about it? Are you like kind of like. I'm not sure I want to do this. You know, nobody ever asked me that question when I was, I wasn't even offered the job so much as it was explained to me that I would be getting this job. And I know that sounds ridiculous. And I'm sure that there are people are like, Oh, fuck you. You know, but I believe you, you know, and I was a kid, like I had a, I had a cake for my 16th birthday. That said late night with David Letterman, the cake on it. So you would think at my license plate said L.A. Night on it. You would think that I set out to become a late night talk show host. Yeah, that's not at all what it was. I just loved that television show. And it was like, you know, I was just me trying to make conversation with people about the show because there weren't that many people who watched it at the time. So, yeah, I enjoyed wearing a late night with David Letterman T-shirt because sometimes people would come up to me and say, oh, hey, you watch that show? And then we would have a conversation about Larry Bud Melman. Right. The, the truth of the matter is that I never set out to do that. And everything is just as you described it. One thing led to another. These things led, one thing led to another. It wasn't like I had this plan of how I was going to build my career. And I do see people because, you know, I have people on my show every night who, you know, sometimes had this plan from, from childhood, you know, and their parents were in on it and their parents quit their job and moved to LA and, and and you go like, what? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) My dad actually (laughs) tried to pay me $200 a week to stay in Arizona and not go do my first morning show in Seattle. (laughs) Like this is all I wanted was to do a morning radio show. I got that opportunity in a big market in the perfect size market for me 
to hopefully succeed. And my dad tried to thwart it with a small amount of money. <laughs> Let's see, what could, what price can my son be bought for? Oh, how about 200 bucks? <laughs> it seemed like a lot at the time. I know it was a lot for him. I also knew in the back of my mind that he would stop paying it about five weeks in. So, <laughs> you know, and then it would be too late. So what was yeah, I going to yeah. do? But yeah, yeah. Right. It was not my intention. I went into a meeting with the president of, of ABC. He, at the time, was looking for a late night host, and I didn't know it. We had a very nice conversation. Almost the whole time we talked about David Letterman. At the end of the meeting, I went home. I called my agent. I said, yeah, we had a great meeting. It was very nice. My agent didn't know what was going on. In fact, he's also John Stewart's agent, and he thought John Stewart was going to get that job. And uh, my and then Adam Carolla's wife, Lynette, was this president of ABC's receptionist. And she called my ex-wife and said, ABC, they're going to offer they're going to give Jimmy the the midnight talk show at the time. And um, my ex-wife's like, hey, they said they're going to give you this show. And I was like, what? What show? And the next thing I knew, I was <laughs> next thing I knew by like the next day I was in their office and someone opened a bottle of champagne and said, welcome to the ABC family. Wow. Do you think that sort of this, you know, backward stumble into it made it possible? Do you think that if you had been just knowing yourself, knowing the way you're built, if you had been focused on it and, you know, and. And that license plate had actually been like a, a mission statement or something. Do you think it would have worked out like this? Or do you think that there's just... I really don't know. Because I would like to be able to say, no, um, it worked better this way. But I really was focused on doing morning radio at a great radio station. I was very, very focused on that. And that did happen. So I, I know that... I know, I know I've had at least one instance of setting my mind to something and it working out. And now it didn't, it certainly wasn't a direct path and it definitely wasn't a pleasant path. It was a very rough path to working at K-Rock in LA in which I was, had to move around the country a lot and was fired a lot of times and really went through, it really was an unhappy time in my life in a lot of ways. But, um, I, you know, they, when you when you look back at this stuff, I'm sure you do this. And I know the way when you guys started your show and it, you, you get these, you know, multi week long contracts. At, oh, yeah. At one point it was week to week. Insanely. Yeah. It's just so insulting yeah. and so unnecessary and just bad from beginning to end. You know, it's like if you're an executive putting your talent in that situation, like what do you think they're going to do if it does work out? They're going to hold yeah, it yeah. against you. Like, yeah, you, yeah. You should be prepared for success, you know? And, yeah. like, you know, anyway, but. Um, the lack of, the lack of people skills at people at the, like the upper echelons of entertainment power is jaw dropping at times. It's just jaw dropping. The same people will treat you like absolute shit at the beginning. Yeah. I mean, yep. like, like bring you into a meeting, tell you they're going to do something, get you all excited, and then never talk to you again. Mm -hmm. And then the way they treat you to the point where it's really kind of terrible, where if there's a problem, they don't, they won't even tell you. They will just lie to you. They will just say, yeah. no, it's great. This is great yep. and great and great and great. And then you find out like, oh, wait, wait, what? <laughs> like, yep. You know, yep. this idea of talent relations where they treat you like you're uh, some kind of show horse, but then you inevitably will find out the truth. <laughs> inevitably the bad news comes and, um, it doesn't make it any better. It's just like this really short term thinking, I guess mm -hmm. it's just, yeah, it's, it's hard to figure. It's hard to figure out how any of it works. Even just like, like the, you know, the process of like, like, okay, you and I made a game show together, right? Yeah. I think you did a great job. I thought it was a fun show and you know, the ratings were pretty good on it. You know, it was, it was not mm -hmm. an easy show to do. It was kind of hard to put together. That show has never been canceled. As far as you and I know, <laughs> that show is just in between seasons because wow. no one ever said anything about it. And what was that, like five years yeah, ago? Yeah, it was on yeah. 
And then we just kind of waited to see, you know, if they were going to pick it up again. And no one ever said they weren't. And no one ever said they were. Yeah. And that was just it. <laughs> the the thing that, I mean, what I always feel it is, is that no one, they they cannot stick their neck out for any, they can, they can, they want you in. They they sense like, and, and usually it's like they want you because someone else has spent money on you. Like, well, all these, there's a precedent of people spending money on this guy and him not flaming out. So, all right, come on over here and we'll spend some money on you. But they can't really, like, back you 100% because if you fail, they're afraid that you'll get, you'll they'll be caught up exactly. in the vacuum of your failure. Like a tumbleweed sucked in behind you. Yeah, so it's like. I never liked that fucker. You signed him, right? Yeah, but I mean, I was I always had qualms, you know. Yeah, like it's which is just like such bad parenting, you know. Like I love you, but you better if you don't do well, I won't love you anymore. <laughs> I'll have to not love you. That's how it goes. A lot of the way show business, television specifically, I don't know anything about the movie business, but a lot of the way television works is. Am am I going to be embarrassed by the result of this? So yes. am I going to be embarrassed if I don't pick this show up? If the answer is yes, then I'm going to pick the show up. If I if I order a pilot and then bury it and no one ever gets it, no one else ever sees it, then I'm pretty safe. If yeah. a lot of people are bidding on it, I'm going to bid on it just because a lot of people are bidding on it. And if I wind up wasting money and being wrong, I can always go, well, we were all wrong. You know, look at that. Mm -hmm. That's how so much of it goes. Yeah, it's all covering your ass. It's all covering your ass. And then also, too, like the, the thing that I think is, and I've always said this, you could go into any network, any studio, and just randomly fire every third person, and it wouldn't hurt. <laughs> it wouldn't matter at all. There's just so many people, and especially in television, you go in and you pitch a show, and you're pitching to like, eight people and now they're all fucking younger than me, you know, and, and it's all, and they all, everybody's got to have an opinion where it's like, well, maybe the opinion is, well, that guy has a track record and uh, you know, it's been pretty good. And why don't we just say, okay, you know, but they all need to have an opinion and they all wait for the person with the most power to express the opinion. I'm okay with them all having an opinion. It's just when, they're trying to guess what the opinion of the person yeah, they yeah. were. And the guessing is what really kills you. That's where yeah, you're like, yeah. oh, my God. I know. And I know. there also is, by the way, it's funny us harping about this, as we've both been pretty successful and oh, we're still yeah, angry. No. There seems to be, and this I don't think exists in any other industry, there's a, a middle part when it comes to, like, um, television and television production. There's this group of people between the people on the top and the people who actually make the shows, whose only job seems to be having meetings with people who might one day be on their network, but that's not really what the meeting is about. The meeting is just there to make the managers and agents look like they have some kind of a power. Mm -hmm. So like, I mean, I just remember being a, a dish jockey and my manager would send me on all these network meetings and I would have these meetings with People who've gone on, be, gone on to become like heads of networks, you know, very you know successful people. And I have like, I had a meeting with this guy, uh, Bob Greenblatt. He ran uh, NBC. You know who that yeah, guy is? I, rem and I remember. I had a the partner name. named David Janelari. And they're very nice guys. And I had a great meeting with these guys. And it wasn't about anything in particular. But I remember coming out of this meeting and thinking, like, well, these seem like great guys. And they, definitely love me and then sure enough you know it's like oh we absolutely love he was we loved him we love he was absolutely great and i never heard from these people again yeah. like yeah, they, yeah. they're probably producing dozens of television shows in between meeting me and whatever it's like wait what happened it went didn't it go it went well right i mean like everybody agrees that it was great there's no reason to say otherwise yeah why yeah. did we have that meeting like yeah. what was the what could have been better than what I had happened? to do something I had to do something that day. I had to fill up the schedule. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network. So whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, 
we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Hi, I'm John Lovett, host of Love It or Leave It. Every week, I'm joined live on stage by incredible guests to break down the biggest and dumbest stories in politics and pop culture. And now, because there's too much news for just one show, join me and my friends, also known as beloved producers who have to be there, every Tuesday for a rundown of the latest headlines to help get you through another flawless week in our perfect society. Listen to episodes of Love It or Leave It wherever you get your podcasts or catch the funniest moments on the Love It or Leave It YouTube channel. Can't you tell my loves are growing? You know, late night has changed. You know, I mean, now the thing that's amazing to me about late night is is the numbers, is the difference in the ratings. And yeah, right. Like what? Uh, yeah. yeah, like what is a successful number now is just, you know, it just feels like nobody's watching anymore. Yeah, it, it's, and, it's not really true because it, what really is is happening, and you know this, is that people are just watching on YouTube. Yeah, they're yeah. watching. They're just not watching through their television set. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, if you really look at, you know, and YouTube does a good job, probably a better job than Nielsen does of actually tallying what the numbers are as far as people really watching something. There are more yeah. people watching late night television than there were when Johnny Carson was doing it. People have this idea mm-hmm. that like, oh, well, you know, things have demanded. They haven't. They're just not watching it on TV. YouTube has done this brilliant job of getting us to produce television shows for them for free. Yes. Yes. Now, does that matter to the people that are above you? Like, do they look at it and go like, oh, you're still doing a good job? Like, because it doesn't it doesn't affect the, the ad rates, you know, like, does it affect the kind of bottom line of the show? Weirdly, this- it hasn't. I think yeah. there will come a time when it does. I think there's still people, sponsors are willing to pay a premium for um, quality content, you know, and I say, I don't mean to say that that the things people put on YouTube aren't, but, you know, these are what we put on the air on our shows are network approved. Uh, You're not going to, there's, you know, you're not going to find out that, um, that there was a Klansman in the, uh, in the sketch. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's safe um, for them to advertise on. I think over time, yeah, that will become maybe an issue. But, you know, like the days of talk show hosts making gigantic amounts of money are are over. You know, that's not going to happen in in the next incarnation. But there will also be 40 talk shows or there probably are already, but there will Mm -hmm. also be 200 talk shows, which I think is probably better. You know, be able to um, be more niche oriented you'll be able to have a smaller audience still make a living and um and do the show that you really want to do Mm -hmm. are you are you still happy doing it are you still like do you still enjoy it yeah i mean the grind is is a grind and there's no two ways about it and i also know from previous experience in my life that whatever I have to do, I don't want to do. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Things that I'm looking forward to, when I see them on this calendar, I go, oh, shit. You know, yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. just me. And it's just my personality. And I wish I could figure that out. But ultimately, I've had the luxury of choosing who I work with, which is, you know, that's the best part of it. And you get to work with people that you like. And Mm -hmm. people that are competent and you don't have to explain the same things over and over and over again. And it is fun. You know, I mean, there are many nights where I'll walk down the stairs to the stage and go, okay, I got some good jokes here. This will be fun. Yeah. Yeah. And it's always fun to do the show itself. But I mean, how much longer do you think you're going to want to do? I'm not going to do it forever. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get removed from television. That's, that's, um, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, just, I just want to see you sitting, sitting in the chair as they pull you, wheel you away in the, uh, in the, in the wheeled chair, but from behind the desk. Yeah. I, you know, I think that, um, I've been doing it a, a long time and not that much longer. Yeah. One, one aspect. And I, I referenced it earlier. You have like 8,000 relatives working with you. Yes. And for you. 
Yes. That's unique. I mean, at least in in television. I love my family more than others do, I it's, guess. <laughs> it's not unique for like a construction company or, you know, <laughs> or a bakery, but in television, it's When you're and, Italian, and, there's no difference. What it now what is this? I mean, what is this about? What do you think it is about you that, you know, is is there a comfort you get from it? Is it is it a trust level or is it some obligation that you got to bring the whole clan along. There's, there are some elements of all of that. Yeah. There's also guilt, right? Uh, that's part of it too. You know, you have like certain amount of like, why do I make so much money? And you know, this person in my family doesn't, you know, that's always, yeah, yeah. but ultimately more than anything, I think that something that I believe is that if I think someone is funny, then others will also. So mm-hmm. um, there are certain people that I've identified like over the course of my career and like helped them or, you know, given them a, a position on my show or um, help them get their own show. And it seems to always work out. I mean, even just like in the case of Guillermo, you know, the security yeah. guard, like, you know, this guy's in the parking lot. I'm like, this guy's funny, you know, like, yeah, I think he's funny. He also, people he has will charisma. think he's funny. He's, you know, he's, he has charisma. Yeah, he has charisma, and people do sometimes get the idea that he's just like this caricature or something like that, whatever. But this is a genuinely funny person. Like yeah. this is a you know like off camera even more so, like uh-huh. a funny ball breaking kind of guy. Yeah. And um, and uh, I just always figure like, well, if I think they're they're funny, probably other people will think they're funny. And it just turned out to be true. And I also come from a funny family. I heard you and Zach talking about um, your like funny families. And yeah. I, you know, I'm not the funniest person in my family, you know. So I, like to me, the funniest person I know is probably my cousin, Sal. He is uh-huh. like just funny on a, as left, a laugh getter yeah. just he just like he his jokes are beyond inside jokes sometimes his jokes will come like from 35 years in your past and they'll come they're at the tip of his tongue and you yeah. can't believe it and it's not just like with his relatives like you know it's hard to explain but sal's the kind of guy you can meet the first eight times you meet him you're like yeah he, he seems like a nice guy he's pretty funny and then the ninth time you go Oh, okay. Now I get yeah, it yeah. because he's now memorized every character in your whole life. And yeah, yeah. he knows every reference that will hit you in a certain spot. And uh-huh. so I always felt like, uh, you know, why not give it a try? Plus it was a way to make my show different. You know, it's hard to make the show different. And these talk shows are all basically the same, mm-hmm. you know, there's monologue in the desk and a band and all that stuff. And, and, so for me, like, I was like, well, how am I going to make it different? And bringing my family into the mix was one way to make it different. And, mm. um, you know, so that's been done to a certain extent, like Dave Letterman would have his mom on every once in a while. And, you know, but to have like, you know, my uncle Frank standing by the door every night and he's this kind of like dense man who is, um, uh, uh, you know, sweetheart of a man, but, not too bright, but very charming and totally confused as to why he's there. Yeah. It just gave me something to work off of. Yeah. So much of, uh, you know, so much of like your job is a weird job. Like being, you know, like late night, there's no sort of like late night talk show school or late night talk show host class. So a huge element of it is what makes you comfortable. What makes you comfortable in this space and in this hour that you have to do every night? And if it's having your uncle there, then I guess, you know. Yeah. Then, yeah, why not? Now, is it weird, do you think, sometimes for the people that aren't in your family who are working on the show? Is there like a dynamic going on where it ends up feeling like you're at someone else's house for Christmas and you quite, you know, you don't quite understand the dynamic what's happening? There was a little of that at the beginning. There was some interfamily auditioning going on. Oh, wow. <laughs> Same with the oh, security boy. guards at the show. Oh, boy. Suddenly oh, when boy. Guillermo became popular, there was a lot of comedy happening from my yeah. car to the <laughs> oh, stage. Shit. Oh, but boy. Um, I think that it is a sign of respect for the people who are on the show and who are successful and not just on the show, but behind the scenes. My, you know, my brother's a director and a mm-hmm. writer and he's he does uh, Crank Anchors now. He's executive producer on that show. And um, I think that... Over time, 
those people in my family who thought I was basically handing out jobs have come to realize that the people I handed them to are very good at, at doing them. And that's mm-hmm. why I gave them those jobs. I mean, obviously being related to them didn't hurt, but if they couldn't do the job, it would be really obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever had to fire a family? Member? I have. Yeah. Oh boy. I bet that's a joy. Oh boy. That's terrible. Yeah. Oh, that's my God. Uh, I mean, I, I don't, um, I hate firing people just to start with partly because I've been fired so many times. I understand how horrible it is, but yeah. um yeah, firing a relative is uh, not great. <laughs> wow. It's bad. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to try to avoid that. Thanks for the, for the tip. Yes. Avoid it at all costs. <laughs> now, what do you, what do you, how do you envision your future? Like what's the picture of yourself, you know, in I don't know how many years, but I mean, beyond, beyond what you've got now. I don't really know. Um, I know myself well enough to know that I change my mind a lot. I'm also yeah. impulsive sometimes. And um, if there's an idea I really like, I can jump all in on it without mm-hmm. thinking about the realities of <laughs> what is good, it's going to require. Yeah. I, um, I would, I know that, you know, I'm interested in producing shows. I like, I like writing jokes. I like watching somebody's career develop. I enjoy that. I like, you know, finding funny people and having the ability to help them um, get seen. I love that. That's probably my favorite part of of doing this. Mm -hmm. So I'll probably do that. You know, I I think like after the show, I'll I'll limit my my activities as far as uh, producing goes, because this has been such a grind and it's... um, you know, at a certain point, it's enough is enough, <laughs> you know, it yeah, yeah, takes yeah. up my whole day. And uh, I don't love doing homework either, but I just feel like I have to. But yeah, um, yeah. I'd like to have an easier schedule. I'd like to have more um, options. You don't have any options when you have a show every night. You're, yep. you, you're, you're doing that show the next day and right, you need right. to feed it and you can never I've, feed it enough. I've always called it... Uh, laying tracks for a train that's coming you know like it's it's on its way you better lay those tracks or there'll be a crash yeah um do you think you'll be in la do you see yourself staying in la yeah i do yeah i like it here i think there are things that are not so great about la but ultimately i think i could find things that are not so great about any place that i lived and um my family lives here my parents live here my in-laws, you know, my kids go to school here. Yeah. Uh, it's it's probably where I'll stay. Well, the uh, the final of these three questions is what have you learned? I mean, uh, you know, and that usually, whether that's the form of advice or, you know, like what you'd like to kind of make the moral of your story or the point of, 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 of what you've been through or what you want to share. Such a tough question. It's such a big question, right? Yeah, I know. And the answer is really, I just got to ask it. I don't have to answer it. (laughs) There are really a a lot of tiny little answers to that question. I think um, more than anything, but what have I learned? I think that one thing I've really learned over my years is that, you know, you find yourself in situations where you want people to think you're funny or smart or just to like you, you know, for whatever yeah. the reason, whether they be social reasons or business it's reasons. Nice. It's, it's, the, it's a better feeling than the opposite, you know? Yeah. And I think that for the first part of my life, my way of doing that would be to be funny, you know, and, and have something something sharp to say, you know, to really like try. And I think that ultimately, if you really want people to accept you as a a fellow human being, you're better off being quiet and listening to them because I think that people just want you to listen to them. And that's hard to, it's hard to control that impulse to just talk and talk and talk. I mean, even now as we're talking, I feel guilty that I haven't asked you more questions. I have to constantly remind myself 
that this is your show and you are the host of it and that the arrangement is supposed to be that you ask me the questions. Right, I, I, right. Like if we were at dinner, I never would. I would never have done this much talking. <laughs> I, would have, I would have went home going like, whoa, what an asshole I am. I talked the whole fucking night. Um, but that's uh, as far as like, I don't know. I think it's kind of a big lesson really. And I think it's a lesson yeah. that, Maybe uh, maybe I'll nudge people towards it, or maybe people just wind up just being completely silent at dinners from here on. <laughs> Anyone that listens to this, but but I do think that um, people want you to listen to them more than they want to hear you talk. Yeah, and I mean that has wide implications through you know whether it's uh, uh, someone you just met, someone you're at dinner with, or someone you're married to, or someone that you know you fathered. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a good advice. I think. Yeah. It couldn't hurt. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, wouldn't the world be a little bit better? Huh? It would. It would. We could use it being a little bit better. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jimby Kimball. Well, that was fun. Jimby Kimball. Thank you so much. It's, it's great to see you. It's been a while. Yeah, it has been a Um, while. Well, now that we're coming out into the open, you know, we'll be able to resume our, our uh, occasional socializing. That's uh, right. That's right. Uh, Yeah. I, I, you know, I can come over and um, trash your house. Yeah. You know, I know where you live. All right. Well, it's, uh, thank you so much for taking out some time for us. My pleasure. That was fun. It sure was. And thank you all out there for listening. We will get back at you next time with the three questions. I've got a big, big love for you. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It is produced by Lane Gerbig, engineered by Marina Pice, and talent produced by Galitza Hayek. The associate producer is Jen Samples, supervising producer Aaron Blair, and executive producers Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Make sure to rate and review the three questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. Can't you tell my loves are growing? This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. 